Amen. And here in the power of Christ, we stand. Well, good morning, church, and happy new year to everybody. Thank you. You can also say happy new year, Greg. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Happy new year to you. Uh, 2020's over. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. Kind of exciting. Uh, We are in a brand new year, 2021. You know, even though 2020 is over, I'm pretty sure we're going to feel the impact of 2020 for several more years to come, right? I mean, we, we probably are. Um, in so many ways, it was a year of uh, less. I don't need to run down the list, I don't think. That's happened in lots of different places and through various media. But all of us, every single person has either directly or indirectly felt the impact of the pandemic and uh, how it uh, touched our lives in various ways last year. Um, And you know what? We're not out of the woods yet, right? Not yet. Some of you maybe have received the vaccine and a lot of folks around the nation and world are. And so we pray that it works and uh, that we can get past this thing and and live into something uh, new and, and wonderful. Hopefully, prayerfully, we're a little more humble as a species and will appreciate uh, what, uh, what healing uh, brings, brings our way. Uh, we, have, we have hope for a better year, hope for a better uh, future. Um, having hope is the opposite of hopeless. So I thought maybe it would be a good idea to create a new word to describe where we are right now. Hope more. What do you think? Think that might catch on? Hope more? Okay. Uh, Maybe not. I prayed a lot in November knowing that I would be preaching in the month of January. So I was really wrestling with topics and, you know, how do we want to start the new year? What do I want to try to call us as a church into what I want us to, you know, what's the launching path that we're going to try to take a look at as we think about 2021. Our church's 100-year anniversary, can you believe that? This church has been around 100 years. That's pretty amazing. Um, as I was processing and praying, the word more just kept kind of sticking at my heart. I couldn't get away from it. Maybe because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so since 2020 was such a year of less in so many ways, um, I just kept thinking about more. And so we're going to be over the next several Sundays in a series of lessons that we're simply just titling more. It's about becoming more like Jesus as we enter this season of imitation in 2021. And so over the next couple of Sundays, uh, several Sundays actually, here's a few of the titles that we'll be taking a look at today. We're about more than we ask or imagine from Ephesians chapter 3, um, verse 20. What is more valuable next week uh, from Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 12. Uh, in subsequent weeks, being more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37, reaching more and more people for Jesus, 2 Corinthians four fifteen, and much more in the last part of January and through the middle of February. So today our our text is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And before we get into that text, I would really just like to call us to pray 
together um, and, uh, and ask God to bless us in this new year and in this time in his word. So will you pray with me, please? Father God, we love you. Truly, Lord, we are grateful for your word. We pray you would refine us, Lord, in this new year. And may we and all within our circles of influence experience more than we ask or imagine. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm, I'm thinking that this idea of more is timely because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we as human beings seem to be wired for more, to want more, to experience more, to get more. And there also can be positives that come out from that. We may then be able to give more or share more. And so more is not necessarily a bad thing, although it can be, as we're going to see here in just a bit. But as people, we just really seem to be about wanting more. It's not a new thing. Just think about Scripture. Adam and Eve were in a a perfect place, and yet they wanted more. Cain had an opportunity to rejoice with his brother, but it wasn't enough. He wanted something more. Uh, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, wanted more. And the impact on his family from the domino effect of his decisions was just a great tragedy. King Solomon, who was one of the wisest men who has ever lived, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That may be the most pathological example of wanting more of anywhere in all of Scripture, right? So the list goes on and on. Name after name of individuals, groups, and families in Scripture who wanted more than what they had. More than their relationship with God. More than the peace that surpasses understanding of knowing Christ as Lord. More than life abundantly, which Jesus promises to those he loves. And, and you, know, you might think that after years of studying these examples, after decades of reviewing What happens when we want more of the wrong thing and less of the right thing? One might think that we would learn our lesson and live differently. But as did many then, so do many now long and look for more. And often, the more that we chase after distances us from God and from one another. I just want to share a a handful of examples of the impact various forms of more 
is having on, on us. I just Googled the word more to see what would happen. And these were just some of the news stories that popped over the last several weeks. American youth too flabby to defend the nation, retired generals say. According to the Department of Defense, 71% of young Americans are unable to serve in uniform, largely due to obesity, drug abuse, a poor education, or a crime record. Hmm. You think that might be problematic? Could be. Could be. How about this one? U.S. student debt has increased by more than 100% over the past 10 years. As college students across the country pivoted between on-campus and remote learning, 2020 was also the year the United States surpassed owing over $1.7 trillion in student debt for the first time. Any students in the room who will give me an oh yeah on that one? Some of you know, right, what it's like to be saddled with student debt. But not only are we amassing more debt, we seem to be more and more obsessed with our electronic devices, social media. I don't know if you realize this or not, there's just been this phenomenon that has been kind of a, a worldwide um, uh, focus on, on social media outlets. Are anybody familiar with TikTok? Anybody know about TikTok? Okay. If you don't know what that is, I'm not talking about a clock. If you don't know what TikTok is, ask your children or your grandchildren, and they can tell you, okay? TikTok is a social media platform. It's been downloaded 2 billion times. Worldwide, it was the number one downloaded app in 2020, and it was only released in 2016. It's the seventh-ranked social media app of the decade. It's past decade. It's surpassed Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, Pinterest, Snapchat, and monthly active users. If you choose, you could spend hours daily on TikTok just watching the videos that people post there or any number of social media outlets for that matter. We seem to be drawn to our electronic devices more and more and more. I just want you to check out this headline from a recent study conducted by one poll. The average person will spend 44 years looking at digital devices, and that's before COVID. A one-poll survey of 2,000 adults commissioned by Vision Direct looked at the average amount of time spent on various devices throughout each day. The results reveal the typical American spends four hours and 30 minutes watching TV, four hours and 33 minutes looking at a smartphone, over three hours using a gaming device, and nearly five hours on a laptop. Altogether, we're spending a whopping 17 hours and nine minutes looking at digital devices each day. I would assume a lot of that overlaps, Okay. Um, over a full year, that adds up to just over 6,259 hours of total screen time. When you stretch that out over the average 60 years we live as adults, you're looking at 44 years of staring at a screen. Wow. Even if this is only half right, isn't it amazing how much has changed just in our lifetimes? Now, this list could go on and on. We have more news than ever before. More analysts, more political pundits, more computer games, more television channels, more celebrities, more books, more choices, more, 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 more. And yet, and yet, we still don't seem to be satisfied. At the micro level, I tend to want what is best for me. At the macro level, we pool our micros together and we want more of what is best 
for us. And when we don't get more of what is best for us, we want those outside of our circle to get more of what they deserve. Right? Now, I want you to understand, having more of this, that, or the other isn't necessarily a a bad thing. There's a lot of upsides to more. Think about it this way. A spirit of more adventure led us to the top of Everest, to the depths of where the Titanic now rests. It took us to the moon. It's very possible that in less than 10 years, we will put a person on Mars. Isn't that amazing? Due to more safety in the workplace, more advances in medicine, more air conditioning, more understanding of how our bodies and our minds work, and much more, you know that life expectancy in the past 100 years, you go all the way back to 1920, the life expectancy of a a, a male in 1920 was 53.6 years, and for a female it was uh, 54.6 Roll the clock forward 100 years. Now we're living over 76 years on average. That's amazing. I'm 54 years old. I'm an old, old, old man by 1920 standards, right? But I'm just kind of halfway through almost, right? By today's standards. There's upsides that also have to be balanced with some of the downsides. So for example... We have more Bible study materials at our disposal than any other time in history. More books, more websites, more archaeological finds in which we can draw information from, more historical records. It's unbelievable how much information is at our fingertips when it comes to studying Scripture. But ironically, because we have so much more to entertain us, to distract us, to upset us, to engage us, we're facing a crisis of biblical illiteracy. And church, I gotta tell you, it's actually kind of shocking. New Testament scholar David Neenhuis summarizes his understanding of the situation that we're in. He wrote an article several years back called The Problem of Evangelical Biblical Illiteracy, A View from the Classroom. He writes, for well over 20 years now, Christian leaders have been lamenting the loss of general biblical literacy in America. Some among us may be tempted to seek an odd solace in the recognition that our culture is increasingly post-Christian. Much to our embarrassment, however, it's become increasingly clear that the situation is really no better among confessing Christians, even those who claim to hold the Bible in high regard. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, we were encouraged to learn and know a lot about the Bible. A lot of facts, a lot of memorizing, and it's, it's possible that we focused so much on facts that our relationship with Jesus suffered. I think that certainly could have, and for a lot of people, did happen. But, but I fear that maybe we swung the pendulum too far back the other way. We're, we're so obsessed 
with having a relationship with Jesus that we are abandoning learning his word. And I fear that it's actually led to um, an abandonment of theology, which is the study of God, and it's put us in a place where we're embracing philosophy that allows us to have the Jesus that we want, when we want, with an often calloused indifference toward the body of Christ or to the authority of the elders and even to the work of the Holy Spirit. We shop for churches like we shop for cars. And we often look for another one when the shine wears off or we get nicked or dinged one time too many. N.T. Wright makes a powerful observation in his book, Following Jesus, when he writes, the longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in his world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus you're looking at. Plenty of people in the church and outside it have made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands on them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but he doesn't challenge them. He doesn't suggest that they get up and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. Now, I want to take just a little bit of time to to just process with you how this is expressing itself symptomatically. And there's so many different areas that we could talk about today, but we don't have time today. We're going to talk about several of these over the next couple of weeks as we dig deeper into this series. But, but just one way, and I, and I don't know why I was wrestling with this the last three or four weeks, but I just, I just was. I don't, I don't know sometimes why God puts the things into our heads and our hearts that he does, but, but I couldn't get away from it because it just kept kind of hitting me in the, in the face. It's one of these things that I just marvel at. I think it's a symptom of how we we're drifting more and more and more into things of the world and trying to keep a foot over here in faith. And, and I think I just marvel at phenomena like this that I've seen followers of Jesus who, who will stand by sports teams even if their coach cusses like a sailor. Even if the team doesn't have a perfect record, still a fan. Players on the team could get arrested. There could be a pay-for-play scandal. But no matter what, I will be an fill-in-the-blank, or I will be a fill-in-the-blank till the day I die. I know a lot of followers of Jesus that are that committed, that loyal to their favorite team. And yet, some of these same followers of Jesus can walk away from the body of Christ when one decision is made that doesn't go their way. One. 
And you may say, come on, come on, Greg, sports are different. Yes, they are, and that's my point. <laughs> We're not going to be judged by the team that we root for. Some of you probably disagree. But the truth is, we're not going to be judged by the team we root for. But church, we are going to be judged by how we treat the body of Christ. It seems to me that we might want to weigh very carefully the paths that lie before us and choose the path that makes us more like Jesus. And why is that? Why is that the choice to make? Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for those he loves. And my brothers and sisters, is there anything more powerful than that? Is there anything more beautiful than that? Is there anything more noble than that? You know, the Apostle Paul certainly thought that there was nothing more powerful, nothing more important when reflecting on how the body of Christ functions as one, even when backgrounds and perspectives are radically different, he writes the following in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You got to say that last word with me. Amen. Amen. What I want us to do for just a few moments this morning is just stroll back through these verses and focus on a few key words and a few key phrases that I pray will encourage you in this new year and beyond. Ephesians 3.14, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul starts Ephesians with a prayer. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he, he begins a prayer. And he, he starts to pray, but then he says, hold on a second, hold on a second. Before I continue that prayer, I got a few more words that I need to, to put to, to paper here. And so he addresses what he refers to in Ephesians 3 as the mystery of Christ, which is in part that Jewish believers and Gentile believers are in this together. Through the gospel, verse 6, they are co-heirs, sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters means that they are also brothers and sisters. 
Paul notes that they are members together of one body, these people of very different backgrounds, these people of very different perspectives. They are members together of one body. They are sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. And you want to know some really good news? So are we. So are we. And the implications that we are all in this together, they're, they're just simply I need to back up just a little bit. Uh, it, it's just so hard to move forward without taking a step back. I just want you to notice how Paul sets this, we're all in this together. I just want you to notice how he sets up this refrain. Beginning in verse 7, Paul writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. And what is the mystery again? The mystery is we're all in this together, okay? So to make plain the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things, his intent that, uh, was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I just want you to notice two particular phrases in that text that they just seem to leap off the page at us. The first is verse 10. Do you realize that through the flawed, broken vessel, which is the church, and the church is a flawed, broken vessel because it is comprised of flawed, broken people. Through the flawed, broken vessel of the church, the wisdom of God shakes the universe. Is this through us getting every single decision right every single time? No. I want you to notice how the wisdom of God shakes the universe. Just look in verses 11 and 12. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's what shakes the foundation of the universe, the power of Christ, the victory of Christ over the grave. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence, Paul writes. This mystery of Christ that we are all in this together, it's accomplished through the church because it was, a, it was first accomplished through Jesus. We can approach God freely, confidently, even as broken, flawed vessels. Paul models this beautifully for us. You remember what he said in verse 8? He refers to himself as the less than the least of all of God's people. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty broken and flawed to me. And yet watch how he prays. Free in Christ. Confident in Christ. Not because of his own ability or authority or position or resume. Just because of who he is in Jesus. He didn't stop there. He keeps praying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, out of his glorious riches, not out of our bank accounts, not out of our our business plans, not out of our best efforts. All of these things can, can glorify God, but that's not where we draw our strength from. It's so powerful here, the work of the Spirit so powerful that it it puts us in position for Jesus to actually take up residence in our hearts and that motivates us then to draw closer to one another, to love well, to give freely, to see one another as Christ sees us. And I want you to hear me. I know from my own experience that when I am the Lord of my heart, it never ends well. I can't think of a single time When I try to be the Lord of my heart, I can't think of a single time that it ends well. But when Jesus is the Lord of my heart, I'm I'm a different, I'm just a different guy. I'm a different man. Paul could stop here, but he doesn't. He keeps praying. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and Long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't it fascinating here that, that the kind of love that Paul describes is beyond description? It's a love for which it's impossible to find a vocabulary. But it's a love that makes being part of the church worth it and the ups and downs and the good times and the bad and seasons of plenty and seasons of lean and yes even when we're healthy or when we're in a pandemic the Lord's holy people the Lord's set apart people we're in this together why is this important Because the more together we are, the more fullness of God that we receive. Paul does not say here, the more you agree. He said, the more Jesus is Lord of your heart, the more you are rooted and established in love, the more you know love that you can't even describe, that's when your cup starts to overflow. That's when beautiful things happen in communities of faith. That's when we stop living for self and start living for others. That's when the mystery of Christ, that we're all in this together, shines like a city set on a hill. Paul adds a a bit more here, a, a doxology, and this is very common to his letters. Um... When he says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to make an observation first about verse 21 and then back up a little bit to verse 20. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. It's a, a bit of an unusual structure. One might think that Paul means the church and Jesus are on par with one another, 
But F.F. Bruce helps us understand the meaning when he writes, God is to be glorified in the church because the church, comprising Jews and Gentiles, is his masterpiece of grace. Isn't that beautiful? Wonderful insight. People from phenomenally (laughs) different backgrounds, people from wide perspectives are made one because of the power of of Christ Jesus. It's his masterpiece of grace. Wow, beautifully said. But I want you to notice the power of God as it is fully on display in Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Immeasurably more. You can't even count it. That's what God is capable of. This is the foundation passage for our series over the next several weeks that we will be an immeasurably more church family. That we will be a people who are willing to step out on faith. That we will be a people who will do all we can to win as many as we can to Jesus. Even as we draw closer to him, hopefully prayerfully than we ever have before. So with that said, I have just a few personal challenges that I want to issue as we close today. And I speak these words in love uh, to people I care very deeply about. These are not words of reprimand or words of rebuke over what's not being done. I just want to speak words of encouragement for us to live even more fully into that which we have been called. First, to our elders. I want to encourage you to be bold, spirit-filled leaders. I encourage our elders in 2021 to be visible, and I encourage you to be vocal. I encourage our elders to practice good listening and good leadership. I want you to remember, elders, you are an elder because the Holy Spirit made you one. So trust the one who is at work within you. Be men fully committed to the one who does immeasurably more. To our deacons and to our ministry leaders, I encourage you to help our ministries thrive. I realize that COVID is still very real. I I get that. And it's going to limit us for a little while but it also has provided us with incredible opportunities. In some ways, more opportunity than we've had in a long time to make a huge difference in our community and beyond. So deacons and ministry leaders, I challenge you to grow in your relationship with God who is at work within you. I would include our our small group leaders in this, others who are volunteering either here on our campus or out in your job place, whatever it is, whatever community effort you're involved in, let's be servants who settle for nothing less than immeasurably more. To all of us, to our church family, I ask that you commit to pray more this year and to be in the word more this year. I'd like for us to begin this new year with one simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray this over and over 
through the month of January, particularly when challenges come your way, uh, when you're not sure what to do, when you're frustrated by a person or by a situation, whatever's going on, I'm just going to ask you to pray this simple prayer. Father God, I humbly pray that you will do more than all I can ask or imagine. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to pray that simple prayer over and over and over. Father God, I humbly pray that you will do more than all I can ask or imagine. I'd like for us to say this prayer as a church family together this morning. And I'm going to say a phrase, and I'd like to ask you if you're willing to repeat it. If you want to repeat it silently, that's fine. That's your choice as well. But let's bring collectively, let's bring this prayer before our Father. Father God, we humbly pray that you will do more than all we can ask or imagine. Amen.